Hello everyone, as ever, you are keeping it real with Khadija. Today I'm being joined by a very epic guest. We are in the wonderful Dubai. It is 25 degrees at the minute, not to make you all jealous. We are in the Rove Hotel at Expo 2020. And my wonderful guest has just driven here to meet me. And I am super excited to ask about his journey living in Dubai for the last 18 years. Spencer, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. So, thank you for joining me here. I know you've never well, done got a podcast. Nice view, haven't we? I mean, at the end of the day, I've not done a podcast like this before, but we have a lovely view to look at. And anyone that's been here would have seen the amazing light shows and concerts and Ronaldo and all kinds of Lewis Hamilton all in here in the middle before when the expo was taking place. I know. And you know what? That's what I love. You've been here for so long now that you truly are a local. Are there any little secrets or anything that you can tell me about Dubai? Any crazy things that have happened in the last 18 years since you've been here? Really stand out moments. Okay, so the way that I describe Dubai is that Dubai is one year younger than me. Oh, okay. So I'm 52 years old. The UAE is 51 years old as a country. Yeah. And in 51 years, think about what they've achieved here, what they've done compared to anywhere else in the world. And for me, that's pretty mind-blowing. You know, you've taken a, a place in the desert, really, that was a pearl fishing village and a small harbour, and they've decided that when the, they knew there wasn't going to be unlimited amounts of oil, that they were going to find another way of creating an economy. And in 51 years, bang, all of this has happened. Now, is it perfect? No. Are there things that have gone wrong along the way? Yes. But it's really cool to be part of this and to see in the 18 years that I've been here where it was and what has been achieved just in that period of time. Yeah. Amazing. So when you came out 18 years ago, was all of this kind of area further outbuilt or were they only starting to build? Kind where of we are now. It? Yeah. This was desert. And closer in a little bit. Desert. I mean, all where I desert. am is desert. Desert. The Burj Khalifa didn't exist. It was desert. Burj the... Khalifa didn't exist. No, no, no. There was wow. no, wasn't here. That was li I, my office was across the highway from the where the Burj Khalifa was built, and so that was just desert. We used to play football out there. There was a baseball pitch. There was an old hotel called the Metropolitan, and there, there was none of that was there. The DIFC was just being built. The Gate Building was there, but the rest wasn't. Dubai Marina, when I moved here, had six towers. Wow. Now there's over a hundred towers, and so. So, yeah, and nobody really lived on the palm. Maybe one or two people were just moving in, but that didn't exist really, yeah. apart from the, the sand that had been dredged. So, yeah, 18 years, a, a lot has happened. Wow. And so I guess everybody asks, what was the deciding factor for you? What made you do it? I mean, I came on a holiday and just stayed. What was it like for you 18 years ago? Where was Spencer at? What was your decision? So I was living in Amsterdam and I'd lived in many different countries before, but Amsterdam was a lot like England. It was cold, wet and rainy, dark afternoons and that kind of stuff. So I didn't really enjoy being in Amsterdam and I was traveling back to London every weekend. And what had happened is I was, I was going through a divorce. So Friday night back to London, weekend with two small children, and I was this dad that had one on my backpack and one strapped to my front, and I was walking through Tesco's, and I really didn't have much of a life. It was work, 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 and then dad, 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 and then work, work, work. Coming here gave me the opportunity to work one weekend, so work during the week, go home one weekend into the UK, and then the other weekend stay here. So instead of going to the UK every weekend, I went every other weekend, and it gave me a chance to build a life, a social life again. And so that, that was a real benefit for coming here. And then the weather, obviously, that was a no-brainer because it was warm and sunny, and after being in Holland, it's like being in, in the UK. It's just, it wears you down, the weather, you know? Yeah, and a lot of people obviously move here because from an entrepreneurial perspective, and we're gonna talk about what you do in a moment, there's so many benefits to living in Dubai, as we know. Uh, a lot of people reach out to 
me, you know, they've got small businesses, they're being burnt by tax, corporation tax. I know corporation tax is coming into Dubai, but just generally, I find that Dubai really is, I guess, more open, more helpful for a business in uh, the UAE. Was that a reason why you came out? Because that is a reason I know for many people. No, that wasn't a deciding oh. fact at all for me. So it obviously there's benefits, from, but it, but every country has its own set of rules, its own set of bureaucracy and stuff that whenever you move to a new country, you're like, why is it so complicated to do something? And that really exists here for anybody that's new coming here. But it wasn't a deciding factor for me, but you can see for so many people this kind of allure of not paying income tax or allure corporation tax to one side, uh, of not having to worry about taxes on different things that they would normally expect to pay. Mm. It's attractive for people, but mm. don't don't be seduced by that yeah, because yeah. Dubai has a set, set of taxes which just differently, you know. You know as well as I do, the cost of living's not cheap here. The cost of goods isn't cheap. Everything is either flown or shipped in because we're in the desert. Mm. And so you pay a higher premium for that and so do you end up with more money at the end of every month I'd argue depending on where you live you know I've got a buddy who lives in Sheffield he's like no I'll pay my tax <laughs> and I'm doing better off and I'm like yeah but you're in Sheffield you know I'm in Dubai <laughs> no no disrespect to anyone from Sheffield <laughs> <laughs> no but I get what you mean okay so let's talk about you then business entrepreneurship property networking you definitely have a great network your network is your net worth, as they say. When you came out here 18 years ago, was part of it to build a network, to build business? Were you already in business? Give us that history of what happened. Okay, so I come from financial services and I've always been in, in that space. And so when I, I was essentially part of three people that owned a company, um, that company bought a company here one of the three of us had to come and run it. And we came here, I think there were about 10 employees when we got here. And we got rid of seven of them, I think, in the first week. And then it was a case of build. And so then my goal was then to build a business in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and in Oman and Kuwait and surrounding countries. The, 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 the goal to build the business was a big challenge because Dubai was one of those places where people had this perception. Like even now, people have a perception of Dubai when they've never been here. You know, oh, women can't be uncovered and you can't drink alcohol and, you know, you can't lay on the beach and all this nonsense. Um, so, so recruiting people to come here back then, it was even worse then. They're like, why would I want to go and live there? You know, mm. that's not right. There's no free schools. There's no NHS, etc. Yeah. But there was a lot of opportunity here and it reminded me of a modern day version of the gold rush. And because of that and the excitement around it and the potential that this place had, it was easy to get enthusiastic about it. Mm. And so then we went on to build the business here and it built, built you know, out of, we had offices I think in 70 countries and Dubai was m responsible for 50% of the revenue of the company, wow. even though we had offices in 70 countries. Wow. That's how that's how quick and how big it grew. Yeah, amazing. And so, so is that business? Are you still involved in that? Or no. So I left that business in 2012. Sold my equity. Then took a year off. I had to have spinal surgery and stuff. And so I, got, okay. I went through some medical challenges. And then I went then in. Never going to go back into financial services again. Never going to do that. That's not me. I'm moving on. I'm going to do something different. And I set up a financial <laughs> services company. Oh wow, well, you did. <laughs> I was, not I was thinking, oh, where did you go next? Back to financials, yeah, right? Yeah, back to financial services. And then the, then the laws changed. Something interesting happened. So medical insurance became compulsory to be provided by yes. employers. When that kicked in, we saw an opportunity to be a medical insurance broker. It was a complicated industry because it seemed to me like it was a race to the bottom. So there's a fixed amount of commission in all these products. Mm. 
that commission was being rebated to the clients. And so I saw a race to the bottom. I'm, like, I'm not getting involved in a business where there's a race to the bottom. Yeah. Can I do it differently? Can I think about it differently? And so that's what we did. We just thought about doing it differently, approaching it differently. And that business then took off. Wow. And with the hard work and effort that all of the team put in, it really, really started to grow. And it's probably the leading company in this country now of providing medical insurance as an insurance broker to, to the marketplace. Do you want to plug? No, not going to plug anything. Oh, okay. No, I like it. No, mention your business. Anybody that comes out to buy, I will definitely be speaking to you because I know a few people coming out. So brilliant. You mentioned to me about property. So is property something that you've invested in here? Do you invest in the UK? Is it become your business baby or? No. So I have, of course, invested. I've I bought and sold properties. I was one of these guys that, you know, if you... I'm a different person to the guy I was 20 years ago and even 15 years ago I was an arrogant obnoxious shit I thought my shit didn't stink I thought I was God's gift to everything I had loads of money and I just thought that I was amazing and I wasn't but that's what I thought I love the honesty uh, yeah, keeping it real you are <laughs> well then I grew up and when I grew up, I started to realize that that, that, that that wasn't what was important. So an example of my behavior back then, I had a property in Florida, one in Portugal, one in Cyprus, one in the Alps, various properties in the UK because I needed them, you know, because I wanted to spend time in my different properties around the place. <laughs> I wanted to be on the Algarve one minute and in Cyprus the next and I skiing mean, the next. Yeah. I bought these properties. I never, I never used them, you know. Oh. I, went to, I went to all of them once, some of them twice. But it was just like... It was cool to say you had them. Oh, man, what a, what a knob, you know. <laughs> and, 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 I, and they weren't great investments in terms of, 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 of the time that I bought and the time that I sold. I never, I've never lost money on them, but I didn't make as much as I could have done. I looked at, at property, because I come from financial services, I look at it as one investment class. Mm. And there are other investment classes too. And when you know more about one than the other, you tend to lean more into that than you would typically into something you know less about. Yeah. But the property market here in Dubai from 2005 to now has been a bigger yo-yo, I would argue, than blooming crypto, I've you know? I've heard this, yeah. We, we came here and we had people that couldn't afford to rent their own properties, rent properties because you had to pay for one year. Yeah. in advance and so people were like where do I get the money and rents were expensive and we were like this is nuts mm. and then the crash came in 2008 and everyone lost a fortune you know everyone was in, you know I mean I, I bought off plans some properties on the world islands developer disappeared you know oh no $600,000 bosh gone <gasps> just gone and that's the risk of, of investing over here back then mm. escrow accounts weren't you know worth anything back yeah, then yeah. it's that kind of stuff so I made some I made some mistakes. I watched that go up and down. I then I then had some interesting experiences. So I bought a property, renovated it, sold it. Then I bought another property, did the drawings to renovate it, and I finished the drawings. This was six weeks to get the architects to do the drawings, and somebody approached me and said, "Can they buy it from me?" And I'd owned the property for six weeks. Wow! And I made a. 24% profit on that property in wow. six weeks because just somebody wanted that property. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm just about to renovate it, mate. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, but I'll buy it from you now. Wow. So that, that those kind of stuff happened. But, you know, am I am I a real estate guy? No. no. Okay. Have I bought and sold over the years? Yes. Yeah. So you said about other investments that you know more about. Are you happy to share some of those to our listeners that are looking to invest once their business grows to a certain point where they can? Well, I think, look, 
I'm, I'm one of these guys that's been on a mission for most of my life to stop people messing up their money. Yeah. You know, most people have a really poor money mindset. They mm. don't understand money. They don't understand how to get their money to make more money. Yeah. And so they, 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 they invest in, you know, either crazy hair-brained, hair-brained ideas that their mate down the pub has told them about. Yeah, yeah. Or they get bitten, wrapped up in the crypto game and then lose their shirt because they got in there too late. I was go- well, when you said you've got other investments, I thought maybe crypto was mm-hmm. was where you were headed because that's quite big out here, isn't it? Yeah, well, I have crypto investments, oh, okay. but I just I see that people don't understand what to do. So in terms of advice that I give people, it's like when you're 65 years old, are you going to have enough money? Mm. Okay, because you're going to live for 30 years. Mm. And if you don't have inshallah, yeah. If you don't have enough money, then you're going to have a miserable thirty years. Yeah. So it's important that you bulletproof yourself against that. If you really want your kids to go to a great university, then you need to get saving to make that happen because it's not cheap. Hallelujah. And so we want our kids to get a great education. So that means university. Well, you think about uni now, okay? Mm. My daughter, one daughter's there, one daughter's just finished. That's forty thousand pounds a year per child. Now I know people listening go, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Nine and a half thousand for university fees, fifteen hundred quid a month for women accommodation and everything yeah. else that goes with it. Then you've got the cost of living and all of that stuff. Mm. If you, you know, nobody says to themselves, "I want my kids to go to university, get a student loan, and struggle." Debt, yeah. Okay, they don't say that. Mm. That ends up happening sometimes because they don't plan. Mm. So when it comes to investing, I say, look, let's have a look at all of the asset classes. Let's look at what you can invest in. Let's look at what you shouldn't invest in. Crypto is now a class. I don't think you should invest in anything apart from Bitcoin if you're going to invest. I just think you should ignore it all. Bitcoin took a huge drop, though, didn't it? And just after Christmas or something? So it went from up 60-odd thousand and it fell down, okay? And it's now sitting at about 26, 27,000 as we record right now. But I believe long-term in crypto, and I believe what we've just seen in the news yesterday with the the BRICS uh, currency coming together with Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa saying they're going to forge a currency that they're going to buy and sell oil and other trade in, that means that the dollar's under some threat now. Mm. So I think that Bitcoin's going to start to accelerate even further. Mm. But I just think that people should, when they invest in this kind of stuff, put some money in every month and don't look at it. Yeah. Okay, just don't even go onto your exchange. Don't go and look at it buying is no 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 because you get it's like gambling you get seduced and you think you're a genius if you're up 10 percent over the course of it yeah i made a great decision i'm a i'm a bitcoin investor and, yeah. and then if you lose if you lose 10 percent, well bitcoin shit isn't it yeah don't look at it it's going to be volatile mm. but if you look at it from the beginning to now how it's grown mm. you all wish you would have invested at the beginning yeah so you've mentioned here obviously being a dad paying for university mm-hmm. were there any times you know living out here not just living out here in business where i know mum guilt is a huge thing and everyone talks about it but i'm sure there's dad guilt too and i've spoken to simon about this in the past sorry we should have got proper chairs these <laughs> stools aren't ideal do you know what made me laugh Shows my belly off when i so, said spencer no spencer belly. said i've never done a podcast like this before and we were meant to have a meeting room in my defense but i said spencer we're keeping it real we do keep it real with khadija and i've actually only ever recorded two podcasts in a booth and everything else has been like this i'm sorry should i get you a chair you're good you're not he's not a diva anymore 20 years ago he would have been like what is this how I'm dare not, you yeah. do you know, do you who, know I who i am, I am? <laughs> do you know who i am how dare you do you know what i actually love that and and my podcast it says it on the tin like i have met and i'm sure you have as well and i love that you admitted about the you know obnoxious behavior unfortunately the more successful people i meet and the more successful that i become so i meet more successful people unfortunately ego is a huge 
issue and and I pray and I think I will always be this way to always keep it real hence the podcast I mean I sat in front of Lord Sugar for 11 weeks on The Apprentice in 2018 and he's the most realist guy don't don't get me wrong he needed to sparkle in San Pellegrino next you know next to his seat all the time but very real very honest and going on that show actually coming off off of it I realised that it was okay to be Khadija I didn't have to mind my P's and Q's if I speak a little bit gangster sometimes it's the way that I am and it's a very refreshing place to get to in your entrepreneurial journey was there a huge moment for you where you thought I don't want to be this guy anymore you know like I'm just going to be humble I'm going to be down to earth I'm going to be no was was there a pivotal moment was it losing the 600k on that off plan property was it a few hits that you experienced that made you think actually maybe my shit does stink so when I sold my equity in the business in 2012 it was on the back of me being fired Oh, wow. Because I'd become a bit of a renegade, to be honest with you. I was, I'd created so much success within my part of the business that nobody could compete with me. And my, my, again, my arrogance and my you know, attitude was out of control. And within in it, three things happened to me in the space of three days. So I lost my job and was told I was out. Mm. My partner left me after seven years. And I got a phone call from a surgeon who'd seen an MRI on my back and said I needed spinal fusion surgery. Oh, my goodness. And in the space of those three days, I got these three pieces of information. I then signed a contract to say I wouldn't work for 12 months. So I essentially was on gardening leave for 12 months, which at the time sounded like a really good idea. Yeah. It was what led to dark, dark depression. It what led to suicidal tendencies and then a suicide attempt and all that kind of stuff that took place. And so I went through a really dark period. Yeah. What I didn't understand was the word gratitude. I just didn't get it. And a lot of, you know, I see some of those kids that are on, uh, on The Apprentice, these lads and they're, they're cheeky chappies and they all think they're God's gift to sales and business and stuff like that. And I just cringe because yeah. I know I was one of them once. Yeah. And... When I, when, I, when I understood gratitude, the way that I understood gratitude was after going through lots of therapy, mm. um, being told I was going to be taking medication for my depression, which I, f I fought against. Me too. And then meeting somebody who was so incredible, so wonderful, so selfless, that it changed the way I thought about everything. Oh, and, mashallah. Yeah. And, and, and her name was Maria and she saved 682 kids out of the slums of Bangladesh and seeing what she was prepared to give up to give these kids that had nothing a fighting chance at life made me look at my life and think how shallow and pathetic it was yeah made me look at money in a completely different yeah. way it was like what what, what do we need what these it here for? It was, what, these cars these boats these these first class this the designer yes. clothes everything it was just like what what significance do these things have? Yes. What do we need money for? And it's like, if we, if we need money to survive, then that's fine. You know, got to eat, put a roof over our head and look after our kids and stuff like that. But anything above that, mm. the greatest way to use money is to help do people mm. that are suffering or... Or, or could do with your help. Mm. Now, you may think that's a bit mad because why would you give your money away to that? But th there's a payment that you get because when you give that money and you really genuinely help, the feeling that it gives you uh, yeah. is the best feeling on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I don't care whether you've broken world records, won gold medals, you've been a boxing world champion. There's nothing better than being in service of others. Mm. And a lot of the time it might not be money. It could be time, effort and energy.
But yeah. if you give and you give without any expectation of anything in return, the payment you get is mind-blowing. And that, I think could be the biggest cure for depression that exists on the planet. Oh, you've made goosebumps on my arms. Honestly, I'm Muslim. My dad's Muslim. A big part, we're in a Muslim country, a big part of uh, the religion and what I've grown up with is uh, good deeds. Everything is about good deeds. Not backbiting, not being greedy. I mean, my dad told me when we were younger to put your knife and fork down before you fall. That's part of the culture. So when you said that, it really hits me because I shaved my hair in April. For, I know, you know, Dubai is a little bit different to the UK when it comes to charitable things. You know, it's a bit more low key, but I shaved my hair because a mum at the school was going through breast cancer. Lisa, if you're listening, is fine now, thankfully. But that was a conversation outside school. She was worried that her daughter was going to be the only one with a mum that had no hair. And I have, I mean, I'm not as far along in my entrepreneurial journey as you, of course not, but I definitely think I've had that epiphany maybe quite early on. I haven't come from a lot I've always been grateful for it I've had moments of, of ego I'm not gonna lie you know coming off the apprentice and people are like oh you're this I'm like yeah you're right I am but I think you know because of my dad and because of those understanding that good deeds are the way forward and believing in a god that has helped me so when you just said all of that honestly I was like holding back because I was like yes you're my person thank god I interviewed you on my podcast I knew you were my person um thank you for that by the way that is and I think you know people do get caught up in entrepreneurship and definitely I think use social media as a way of showing people that you have that kind of ethos I see too many people trying to be disruptive but in a very negative way uh, the likes of Piers Morgan and other people that follow that train I think they think it's cool I'm just saying to you all FYI it's not cool it's never cool to put people down or to, to be that kind of negative energy and it does lead to depression and mental health and I've suffered with that so is my mom you know it's hereditary so thank you for being so open I'm just going to go back to children because obviously I've got three young daughters you've met one of them Talia the sassiest of the three she's cool she's uh, she's a lot so you know that was a big decision for you to decide that I need to do something in the back of your mind I think when you have children you think I need to hustle because I've got university to pay for because God forbid something happens I need to be able to my thing is I need the best health care God forbid as they say in Arabic God forbid something happen I need the best health care I need this I need that my kids need this not to spoil them to support them for security and that kind of thing whilst you were growing your businesses and making these investments and doing all of these things were there ever moments where you thought you know what do I really need all this you know I could be spending more time with the kids I could be doing this because I speak to a lot of parents who really struggle with that balance and yeah Interesting question, and, and, and there's an, an interesting, I suppose, answer. So I came here 18 years ago. My daughters are 23 and 20, so one was two, one was five. Mm. That meant every other weekend I saw them, and then I would go back to the UK, or they would be with me through summer holidays, Easter, half-term and yeah. stuff. People used to say to me, you're such an amazing dad. And I'm like, why? They're like, you go home every other weekend from Dubai, you go for the holidays, you're always with your girls, you, you, know, you do so much more than so many men. And I'm like, okay, well, I appreciate you saying that, but I don't see it like that. Mm. Because being a great dad, truly being a great dad, I wouldn't be living in Dubai. I'd be living with them or near them and making sure that I was the best dad that I could possibly be. Mm. So 
I would use, back then I would use terms like, the reason I make these sacrifices to come here and live in Dubai to make all of this money is for you. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost as I was trying to project. Justify. And so justify why I was doing it. That was nonsense. The truth is that was nonsense. Now people would say, oh, the opportunities are better in Dubai than they are in London. Let's give some perspective to this. London is a hundred times wealthier than Dubai. And although you might think there's all the flash cars and whatnot, it doesn't, Dubai doesn't even compare to the wealth of London. It's miles behind. Wow. So does the opportunity really live in Dubai or, or exist in Dubai? Or does the opportunity exist where you apply yourself the most? Mm. And so I can't argue anymore that the opportunity was in Dubai. Mm. Okay. I can't argue that you know I was doing it for them. I was doing it for me. Mm-hmm. I was doing it for my success, my 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 values, my worth, my self belief, my confidence, my all of those yes. things that are just like me, me, me. Uh-huh. But I couldn't say it out loud. Oh, because, I love you. Because it's by so saying real. it out loud, it's just it's just false. It's, you know, it, it would just come home as you know the wrong thing to say. So, did I want my kids to have the best education? Did I want my kids? You know, my my two daughters are the first children in our whole family ever to go to university. Oh. No one's ever been. Yeah. Taylor, my eldest, who finished last year, we went to graduation and she walked out of the graduation with the scroll, whatever it is that you get. And she just went, whack, put it in my hand. She said, right, that's for you. Can I get a job now? Oh, I love it. (laughs) My youngest is a completely different story, but my eldest, she was just like, I've spent four years here. Okay, I've been to this top university. I I really appreciate you doing it. But she did it through lockdown. She said, I wonder what I'd be earning right now if I'd have gone straight into the workplace four years ago. Mm. I wonder if those four years of professional experience would have been better for me. And arguably, they are for some. I didn't go to university. Mm. I certainly know Lord Sugar didn't go to university either. And other people I know that have become incredibly successful, probably the most successful person I know here in Dubai, he couldn't retain information at school, like mm. me. He never went to university. Mm-hmm. So is it that important? I don't know. But what we want to do is try and do the best for our kids. We want to try and do the best, but we think we know best. Yeah. And we don't always, yeah. but you just have to keep trying. And hindsight is a wonderful thing. Like of course, it. And of the course. fact that you can admit that, I think listeners listening, they know they're getting nothing but realness on this podcast. And the fact that you said, you know what, I was saying I was doing it for them, but I was doing it for me. I've been guilty of it. I mean, I think a big part of us being out here, I'm telling the kids it's for them. Let's be real. It's not really. It's for me and the opportunities. However... I mean, we both need to cut ourselves some slack because those opportunities essentially are going down to you know the children to make their life that little bit easier. I've been in situations, you know, my mum had bailiffs knocking at the door and, and we lived in a council house and we had hand-me-downs and she's fine with me talking about it because it is my story and I never wanted my children to witness that. On the other end, sometimes they come out with some right bratty things and I think, oh my God, I'm creating monsters. Uh, It is hard to get that work-life balance. It's hard to get that parenting balance. But I mean, yours have obviously turned out brilliant. So huge congratulations and well done. I'm on my way there, Spencer. Let's hope uh, I have the same outcome. But the university thing I like that you said, because I did go to university and I studied law and I did it for my dad. And I worked three jobs, phones for you. Do you remember? Phones for you, for less. Uh, 
Pizza Hut and a shisha bar and I would do shift after shift after shift because all I was ever about was the hustle. Back then I didn't realise that I was a sales girl. Even when I had my cleaning business a few years ago, which I took on The Apprentice, I still didn't realise I was a sales girl. I thought I was an everything girl. Now I'm in such a comfortable place in my life where I have my businesses. My job is solely to raise investment and to sell stuff. Like, that's all I need to do. I don't need to understand accountancy. I don't need to understand HR. I don't need to, I mean, I'm all right at marketing, but I don't need to be a marketer. I don't need to understand HTML or, or WordPress or all this stuff. There becomes a time in your life, which obviously you have been through, where you just know what you're good at. So what is it that you found out about yourself that is your best attribute that you are so good at that you are now focusing on what business, what projects? Mm. Okay, so what I was, what I was, if you say what's your trade, as they used to say in yeah. the olden days, yeah, I think my trade is sales. I think that's what I'm naturally gifted at. I learned how to sell when I was 18 years old, professionally was taught, and I was taught how to deal with rejection. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges people have when they get into sales. It's like they can't face the rejection. Oh. It's like the, 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 the phone rejection or whatever, the knocking on the door rejection, whatever it may be, rejection. And... I, I remember when I first learned to sell, the guy that was teaching me to sell, he said to me, right, you're gonna, gonna make 100 cold calls today. He said, but I, I want you to get 100 people to say no to you. I was like, okay, yeah. And bear in mind, I'm a kid, I don't know much, yeah? I'm one of these trainee salespeople. So I make 100 cold calls, get 100 no's, fair enough. I went to see him at the end of the day, he got up from his desk, gave me a high five, he said, brilliant job, I'll see you tomorrow. The next day, he said, get 100 no's again. And I'm like, no's? Again, I'm he's over like, this. Yeah, <laughs> so he's like, no, 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 get a hundred no's. I need you to get me a hundred. Whatever you do, don't let me down. Get me a hundred no's. So again, I went and got a hundred no's. The next day, he said to me, "Good." He goes, "I want you to get me ninety-nine no's today. Can you get me ninety-nine? And I'm like, "Yeah." He said, "And get me one yes." And so I went through the day and obviously there are people that are the first couple of days that might have been interested that I kind of said, okay, no, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew there was going to be one or two people that were interested and I got one yes and booked one appointment. At the end of the day, he's like, brilliant. He goes, you've got 99 no's and one yes. Excellent. That went on for another week. So 99 and one. The second week, he said to me, what I want you to do now is get 98 no's. Don't let me down. Get me those 98 no's. Okay, get me those no's and get me two yeses. Well, if you think about it, 99 to 1, 98 to 2 is 1 in 50. So what he'd done is he'd essentially doubled my results from the same effort. Yeah. The week later, it was getting me three yeses and 97 no's, get me four yeses, yeah. 96. Well, that was then the 1 in 24 until it went to get me 90 no's and 10 yeses. Now, that happened over six weeks. After six weeks, I knew without any shadow of a doubt, that the only way to get yeses was to go and get a load of no's. Oh. And so because that was ingrained in me as an 18 year old that I needed, I desperately needed, the most important thing was find no's, go find no's. Yeah. I, I didn't fear it. So anyone that said no to me, I was like, have a great day. Anyone said no to F off, B off, whatever it might be, any bad language. <laughs> I was just saying, all right, mate, take it easy. Have a good one. I need your no anyway, because in my head, I needed the no. Yeah. And so then I never feared rejection. I never got into a place where it was like, oh, my God, it's hard work, this. Because I knew the only way I would get a yes was by getting a load of no's first. That, if that's not a golden nugget, what a golden nugget that is. I've never thought to train people in that way. Never. And there's going to be so many people listening that are like, oh, I'm going to train my salespeople that way. Get loads of no's and then you'll get a yes. Oh, that's brilliant. So let's, let's, let's add a bit more flavor to it. 
every morning at 6.15 in London, a.m., we would train until 8.30. If you weren't in the office for 6.15, the padlock was put on the door and you couldn't come in. So if you got there at 6.20, tough shit. Wow. And at 6.15 till 8.30 every day, it was, it was called the Early Bastard Club. Oh, I like it. <laughs> and there were 16 of us beginners. We used to do this thing with our hands, early bastards. Um, <laughs> And we would be trained and it would be telephone scripts and it was objections, all this kind of stuff that you used to do when you cold call, role playing, door knocking and all that kind of stuff. And we were trained every day, like like military precision, role play. And ro- no, salespeople hate role plays, you know, yeah. they hate that situation. Where it's like they've got to face someone and yeah. do, a, do a fake scenario. Yeah, I yeah? hate it. I'm not going to yeah? lie. But no <laughs> one likes it. But by doing it over and knowing it's happening every day, then what happens? You become accustomed to it and comfortable with it. But this happened over and over and over and over. And these no's, 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 no's. And then training, training, training. And what was happening is they were conditioning us. And they were conditioning us to understand the nose, first of all. But also, they were training the the bum off of us, you know. They yeah. were training us like crazy. And I think that if you're going to be great in sales, you need professional skills training. You need mm. to be taught what to do. It's not like, for anyone listening right now, don't just go to your staff, as your newcomers that come in the company and say, right, go and get 100 no's. Yeah. What you've got to do is you've got to teach, teach, teach. You've got to show them the objections, role play the objections, role play the pitch, role play, role play, then tell them to get the 100 no's. Yeah. And then every day keep that training going. And what will happen is that they'll, I believe the same outcome that happened to me will happen. Yeah. You, you will create an army or a group of people that are scared of no one mm. in business. So you mentioned about Maria. You met Maria, what she was doing changed your whole perspective on life. Mm. We spoke briefly before this about Maria and about what you have coming up in the form of a documentary. And I would like you to just share that if you're happy to. Oh, Maria, Maria, Maria. Maria Conciusau, two years old, born in Portugal. Her mum needed to find work, and so her her mum left Maria with another lady, uh, a refugee herself, called Maria Cristina. Maria Cristina said, look, to her mum, go go and find work. I'll look after young Maria. Her mum went off to Lisbon to find work and never came back. And Maria was then brought up by Maria Cristina. Maria Cristina died when uh, Maria was nine years old, and so she was then brought up by the rest of the family of refugees. When she was 12 years old, she left school, so she didn't really get much of a formal education, and she got a job as a cleaner when she was 15, and said, if I'm going to be a cleaner, I'm going to be the Ronaldo of cleaners. And I kind of like that kind of mentality, you know. And so she became a cleaner, and then a few years later, she went to Switzerland and became a cleaner there because she wanted to learn another language. She was hit by a car when she was in Switzerland and so went to hospital. And Switzerland's not part of the EU. She needed a work permit to live there and work mm. there and she didn't have one. Mm. So she had her treatment in the hospital. They said, you've got to leave. She then went to the UK, went to London, worked as a housekeeper there. and saw a sign, Emirates Cabin Crew, a flight attendants or whatever they're called. Okay, job apply here. And she's like, oh, if I got a job like that, what a dream that would be. Yeah. So she applied for the job. Long story short, she got the job. She came to Dubai, and this is literally her dream come true, cabin crew. And for lots of people listening, that may not be much of a dream, but for Maria, that was the dream. She then flew to Bangladesh, to Dakar, on one of her earlier flights. She had a two-day layover there, and in her time there, she wandered around the streets and wandered through the slums, and she saw the suffering. Mm. And it reminded of her as being a kid and suffering herself. And she wanted to help her family. That's all she wanted to do. Mm. So one family, she promised to help. And she flew back to Dubai, sold her possessions, uh, flew back to uh, Dakar. And those, that money that she got, she gave to that family to help them. Mm. But she couldn't help just one family. She needed to help more. Mm. And so she Googled how to raise money for charity. 
and the first thing that came up is climb Mount Everest. Now, this is a woman that's never stepped foot in a gym, <laughs> let alone gone for a run or had Ambitious. a Pilates class. Yeah. But in her brain, it was so different. And this is the value of perspective. In her brain, that was an obstacle that was in the way of her helping these girls. Mm. For you and I, it's the biggest mountain in the world. Yeah. For her, an obstacle. Yeah. And she literally says, it was an obstacle. Mm. She trained and she became the first Portuguese woman to climb Everest. Wow. On the back of that, she then climbed every other mountain that exists. She went to the South Pole, the North Pole. She then went swam the English Channel. She did eight Ironmans in eight weeks in eight countries, eight wow. marathons in eight days in eight countries, and just kept doing these record-breaking attempts. Mm. She just finished recently a back-to-back Ironman, which is, again, Guinness World Record number 10. Wow. All for the help, to all to help these kids. Now, she couldn't help them and bring them here because they didn't speak English. Mm. So the first thing she had to do was to start a school so in Bangladesh, she put some money together from the donations she got. She built a small school wow. to teach the kids English. She then brought the kids from Bangladesh here, got them scholarships into schools and then off to university. Amazing. 700 girls. Wow. All from her. So I meet Maria. She tells oh, me her story. Well and then she says to me one day, would you like to meet some of the girls? I'm like, I'd love to. Yeah, of course. So anyone that doesn't know Dubai, we have a big shopping center called uh, Mall of the Emirates. Mall of the Emirates is everything you can imagine in a shopping center. There's an indoor ski slope, a fun fair, and everything you yeah, can imagine. Yeah. Right, so I said to Maria, where do we want to meet them? She goes, you tell me. I said, I don't know, Mall of the Emirates? She went, great. So they came in, these between eight and 12 years old, these girls came over and gave me a hug. And I was like, oh yeah, this is so cool. Yeah. Let's go for ice cream. And Maria went, oh, please, just, just, no, not ice cream. I'm like, why not? She said, they've never had ice cream. Aww. I was like, what do you mean they've never had ice cream? She goes, they've not eaten ice cream, Spence. So we took them to the fun fair. We had an amazing time. Mm. I then posted on Instagram and I said, I need somebody to help me for the next three hours. I don't care who it is, but please can somebody, if you're free, I know it's Saturday afternoon, if you're free, can you come and help me with 12 Bangladeshi kids that I'm looking after? I would mm. really appreciate it. One guy called Loai, who's the CEO of Provident Real Estate, he messaged me, he said, I'm on my way, where are you? Wow. Dropped everything and came, and he helped me with these 12 girls for the afternoon. We then went to Carrefour, four trolleys, and I said to Maria, what do they need? Let's get them what they need. And she just looked at me, she said, they need everything. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean by everything? She said, everything, everything. So we started a journey of, you know, the sneakers, the, 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 the pajamas, the feminine hygiene products, the, the hairbrushes, the yeah. toothbrushes, the, the, the towels, the, the, the trainers, the, the, the socks, the, the underwear, the whatever it was she needed. And these kids couldn't believe they're like, what? They're for me. And I'm like, yeah. And in that moment, I fell in love with all of them. They Aww. just became connected to me and I became connected to them. And I realized that my life was a big part of my life was pathetic. A big part of my life didn't really have meaning. A big part of my life was just worthless. Yeah. And I wanted it to mean something. Yeah. And this exposure to these kids and to Maria and her journey made me realize that, you know, if you try and help others, there's a really big payback that can come your way. Correct. And so that's how I got to know Maria. And I know it's yeah. a long-winded story, no, but no, that's no, what I, happened. I love it. And then I was then given the opportunity to make a documentary and we looked at a lot of different areas around the UN's global sustainability goals because I was part of a group here called the Global Sustainability Network. And we looked into them, and there are things that mattered and things that didn't to me. 
Okay, so, you know, I, I'm not that interested in the dehorning of rhinos. That, that wasn't at the top of my agenda. Now, other people love animals, and so there's things that matter to me. And, other, and great that people care about other yeah, things. You know, exactly. We don't, can't all care about the same thing. And human trafficking became a, a, a big issue for me because I met a guy called Kailash Satyati. Now, Kailash won the Nobel Peace Prize. He saved 80,000 kids from child slave labor oh, in India with his sick. own hands. Wow. He was shot at. He was beaten up. You know, <gasps> there's a documentary you can watch on YouTube called The Price of Free. Mm. That's him. Wow. He inspired the living daylights out of me. And I'm like, I need to make a documentary about something I care about, which mm. is human trafficking. So... The producers then and the directors are like, we don't want to do this. This is dangerous. You know, this is more dangerous than doing it about, you know, the Colombian cartels. I'm like, why? They're like, drugs are sold once. People are sold over and over. Oh. It's a much bigger industry. Mm. But I was, I was definitely focused on that. And I wanted to tell the story of three heroes. Mm. Maria was one of them. Two other heroes, which will be in the documentary, yeah. of people that have done superhuman things in service of others. Yeah. And for that, I have nothing but immense gratitude to be ever in their company uh, and learn their story but also a real wake-up call you know a lot of the time we sit moaning and bitching about how bad our life is and what we don't have and mm. what, what we'll miss out of our life mm. you know if only this if only that mm. and it's like you have no idea how lucky you are if you've got a roof over your head and you've got a hot meal every single night mm. and you go to a job where there's people that respect you and you have a social life where you go down the pub and have a pint or whatever it might be mm. you play you play football at the weekend you are living in the biggest most successful group of people that exists on the planet True. most people never have that mm. and when you see the other side, yeah. that's when you get the wake-up call. Mm. And pe because people don't have the perspective, they don't have the opportunity, or they haven't tried to see the other side, mm. they, they don't feel it. Mm. Okay? And so for me, it's like being exposed to that changed how I looked on the world to everything. Mm. Every penny I spend now, I think about how that could help the girls. Yeah. That could be on a packet of chewing gum yeah. or a new car. Yeah. Everything, I'm like, what could the girls use it for? You know, $120,000, Maria has 70 girls here, $120,000 looks after them for a year. Now, you imagine, okay, a lot of people say, well, that's a lot of money. Yes, of course it's a lot of money. Mm. Okay, but if you imagine, okay, 120 people got together and gave $1,000, mm. that's 800 quid. Of, is 800 quid going to change your life? Mm. But it changes theirs. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, why don't we just try and do two things? Number one, be kinder. Everyone should try and help one person. Mm. Just what doesn't matter where it is, who it is, try and help one person in your life. Okay? So be kind, try and help one person in your life. And you'll realize just by helping one person how good it makes you feel. Mm -hmm. And that then becomes addictive. So try helping too. And yes. I promise you, it will just get better. Yeah. Oh my God, I love this. So, in terms of the documentary, can you tell us when it's on, where it will be? It's not finished. It's been finished being filmed. We're editing at the moment. We have quite a bit of voiceover work to do because we, we, we were trying traveling the world take it, making this documentary and there's right. some of the stuff's in different languages so we've got voiceover work to do which we hope to get done by the end of this month and then once it's done we don't know the actual release date but if if you would like to see it once it's done i'll gladly share yeah, it with you yeah yeah and, and can we share where it will be showcased or not yet we we we, we can't be sure okay. okay and so if i say where are we likely to be and something changes i'd rather yeah, i'd rather of course. give it to people at the right time so where can everybody find you to find that information your 
Instagram yeah, handle? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram if you want at Spencer.Lodge. My name name sounds like an old people's home, so it's a hard one not <laughs> to not to forget. <laughs> it is though, isn't it? Who you think not? about Spencer Lodge. I'm like, oh, what yeah, was my mum and dad thinking? I never thought of that to be honest, but I see <laughs> I said to my mum, was there, was there another name you were going to choose for me? My mum was like, I wanted Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> but your dad likes Spencer Tracy. <laughs> so we're going to finish off with the yes, no game shortly. But you are, you have your own podcast. Can you share with everybody what that is? Yeah, it's called the Spencer Lodge Podcast. We've done 260 episodes. And so that's been going here. It's the biggest English speaking podcast here in the UAE. Amazing. And you definitely have a very strong network. I feel like you know a lot of people in high places. You surround yourself with people that are very focused and motivated. Do you think that that is, you know, a big contributing factor to your success? The fact that you do surround yourself with like-minded people? I mean, even Islamically, the Prophet Muhammad, I believe, quote, said, surround yourself with five people, you know, five of the best people. And even in business, they say, you know, you are the net worth of the five people that you associate yourself with. There's always memes, your network is your net worth. And how is it, what kind of people skills do you need to start really building a strong network? And I think network is super important for many reasons. When you're fundraising, when you are trying to help others, obviously so important. Business collaborations. Uh, if you find a project, often you can help other people. So I used to look at me getting investment, like the investor was helping me, and I'd be so grateful for everything. But I'm also helping my investors because they've got money sitting there and they're getting a 35% return on investment within 21 months. The Bank of England would never give them that return and therefore I'm also helping them. When you start to network with people that have got the same mindset as you and are like-minded and working hard, these kind of business deals almost become quite easy. You know, you've got something that can help them, they've got something that can help you. So. If you could list maybe the top three traits or the top three networking tips that you would give to people listening that maybe aren't the best networker or don't have that kind of um, profile yet, what would you recommend they do? Okay, so the first thing I would do is don't judge anyone. Yeah. Okay, we, we, we for some reason, within 30 seconds of meeting people, decide whether we're going to like them or not. Mm. We look for, and then we, what we do then is we look for things that we're not going to like about them. Try not to judge anyone because everyone's got a story and you'll be gobsmacked with some people about how they can bring influence and help to you. That's the first thing. Number two, networking is not about business development. Okay, networking is about building a network. So find people you can help. Yes. All right. Well, your, your help doesn't have to be financial. It could be wisdom. Yeah. Okay. It could be your own network. Okay. Try and focus on what you can do for others and you'll find that you suck people into you by default. Mm. The other thing is if you really want to be a great networker, really great networker, the thing that has brought me more people than anything else is my podcast. Oh. Because the, this is how I work. Let's say I interview you on my podcast. Yeah. That then is released. Let's say it's released four weeks later for the sake of argument. Yeah. And I've interviewed you. I then, once it's released, I will then contact you and I'll say, thank you so much for coming on the show. Just want to give you some feedback from the show. Yeah. Our audience loved you. These are the reasons why. Okay, yeah. they thought this was really interesting. And that bit we talked, you remember when we talked about that? That was really interesting. Any chance I could buy you a coffee? Because I've got something I think might be valuable for you. Mm. Are you going to have a coffee with me? Yeah, I don't 100%, know. 100%, yeah. <laughs> 
100%. <laughs> so then I meet you for a coffee. So, so, so I meet you for a coffee. We've now connected. We've had an hour and a half, just like you're doing here. Yeah. We've had an hour and a half chatting together. We've connected. We form a bond, okay? If you reach out to me at all for anything in Dubai, say, so do you know a good dentist? I'm going to respond. Well, yeah? I've already thought while you're sitting here, I'm going to book you a massage because I feel bad <laughs> about the stool. <laughs> I was like, we're going to be good friends. I'm going to book you a massage. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a great point. So use if you want to develop a network start a podcast and don't give a shit about the audience mm. okay focus on who you can spend time getting to know and the way you do it is i would this is how i would approach you hey khadija i know we've not spoken before i see you on instagram i saw you on the apprentice how cool was that you know how cool was that look i've got this podcast in the uae it's relatively successful and i know for sure if you were able to come on the podcast and come and share your story mm. you'd inspire the living daylights out of the people that listen yeah is that something you could do for me please yeah now, this is how ego works. Most people go, well, maybe I can, I can do I'll a bit of inspiring. <laughs> I can do a bit of inspiring if you like. <laughs> and do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> That's how everyone reacts. Yeah, it's true. Doesn't matter who it is, ego or egoless. Everyone oh, want me to inspire yeah, people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good I for mean, them. It's also good for the podcast yeah, yeah, guests because if that podcast is already going, it's good marketing. Yeah, absolutely. But this is when networking really matters to me. It's like build a network of people, interview the kind of people you want to get to know. Now that could be your industry. You could be in the in the door handle and hinge industry. It could be just that play specific. Play cafe or the play cafe okay, industry. The play cafe. You could be in the blooming in the bottled water it doesn't matter what the industry is it could be something related to mental health because that's what you care about it could be yeah. something about kids it doesn't matter whatever you care about you know there's a there's formula one podcast it could be formula one related yeah, yeah. and spend time with those kinds of people getting to know them because what will then happen is it i can easily say look we've met but our partners haven't met why don't we do lunch together one day? Or the kids. Okay. Yeah. Or the kids. Why yeah, don't we do yeah. lunch? I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to invite you over. We're having a yeah. barbecue. I'd love to invite you over. We get a chance to get to know each other. Three or four meetings later, socially. Yeah, yeah. And, there's, <laughs> there, and you know what? Okay, I'll drive all the way to the other way, uh, other side of the city for you, and then that all was the only way after one meet. And, and all the way back <laughs> straight after to my next meeting. I love you, sorry Spencer, I love you. I promise. <laughs> I owe you. Do you know what? One thing, just to go on that note, is one thing that I found. I went on the Apprentice at 28 years, at 27 years old, two young children with a cleaner business turning over 72,000 pounds. I did not go on that show, a millionaire. I didn't go on thinking I was amazing. I just knew that I had good USPs for my cleaner business, and I wanted. Sugar to be my business partner because the biggest thing for me and my biggest piece of advice I guess would be always be the student always be the student I used to talk 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 da, 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 and never listen and now I'm like no I need to learn that's why I love having people like you on my podcast because I'm like well you're further ahead than me I need to learn and they say you shouldn't be the smartest person in the room never never and uh, but one thing that I found is and, and actually, I had to see a psychologist before I got on the show. So it's a lengthy interview process. And I sat with a psychologist and she said to me, and I remember she looked me dead in the eye and said, people will underestimate you. And it's true, the way I speak, the way I carry myself, I'm very, you know, I think I'm trying to be a 16-year-old for the rest of my life. I am very unassuming, as in I'm a bit gangster. Are um, you a bit gangster? I, feel, I am. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I'm trying to be, so please say I am. You haven't called me, you haven't called me <laughs> bruv once. Bruv, well, we can, fam. <laughs> 
You know, but she said to me, people are going to underestimate you. And I have found that, you know, I'm not the most articulate. I went to uni, I studied law, I ended up getting a third, not in the, the course I was meant to study, in like the, the foundation course version because I didn't quite get it. I don't watch a lot of news. I don't listen to politics. There's a lot of things. I, you know, I had to ask someone yesterday if Sharjah is in Dubai. They were like, no, it's its own Emirates. Like, I come across a little bit ditzy sometimes, but up there, there bruv. is something, bruv. There is something there, you know? And at the minute, I've got two stores running. I've got three that we're just making offers on now. I'm speaking to investors. I've got a good network. And what I faced often is that some people think, well, you're not big enough. You're not big enough yet. I don't want to talk to you yet because you're not big enough. And I think that everybody should treat the janitor the same as the CEO because the CEO can fall hard and the janitor can raise quick. So just because that person doesn't look right now like they're the multimillionaire, if they've got the drive and ambition, or even if they haven't, you know, just give everybody the time of day because you never know. I messaged Stephen Bartlett's team and asked if he would come on my podcast. I told you this and I'll tell you all. I messaged Stephen Bartlett's team and I said, could Stephen Bartlett come on my podcast, please? Because in a few years time he's going to want me on his and when I tell people that story they went oh my god I can't believe you said that his team emailed me back and I've forgotten to email back so no disrespect to Stephen Bartlett's team I love him but you know I am ballsy enough now because I know God willing inshallah if I keep going as hard as I'm going in the next few years I'm going to be a big deal a big deal and anybody that's supporting me when I'm not a big deal yet is going to be truly you know looked after whatever VIP I'm in everybody's coming you know because I have had too many people for too long look at me like I'm not there and I just can't wait till I get there and I look at them and go hi (laughs) what do you think to that there's a fire in your belly and you know you 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 actually you trade on being the underdog and and, and that's okay because if you actually watch years and years ago we used to be really good at at middle distance running in the uk so we had sebastian co and steve over and steve cram and if you watch how they used to run the 1500 meters it always fascinated me none of them run from the front they always sit behind the person in front because Mm. the person in front has to keep looking back. Those guys used to sit just behind because they would know when they were going to go, the element of surprise would be there. It's better to come from behind than lead from the front. So I'm one of these people that would always rather be in second place Mm. fighting to get there because I haven't got to look back. I've only got to look forward. And I also like being the underdog. I don't want to be the champion. I want to be the guy that people say, you know, he's he's got a chance. He's got a chance. But, you know, the odds are stacked against it. We're not sure. Bring it. Yeah. Okay, bring that to me because yes. that that's ignition. Okay, that yeah. really is ignition, and that's like you. You're yeah. like that. You know, Same. you've got you've got you've got something to prove. Okay, who you've got it to prove to? I've no idea. Me either. And and the truth is, it's probably some fictitious thing you've created in your own subconscious. For sure. You have because to me, you have nothing to prove. No, I know. You are incredibly successful. <laughs> You're a wonderful human being. Thank you. But genuinely, and I and, and you again, it's always the comparison. I'll never be the rich richest guy in the room no okay ever no ever 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 yeah, yeah even when i'm the richest guy i won't be the richest guy because yeah. there's someone that's going to be richer in a different way yeah i notice though that the people that focus on money okay and business success as their number one driver end up realizing it's not They're where empty. it's not where they need to be mm. so 
you know, and you see John Caldwell is a great example of that. You know, he's sitting there and he's got the Caldwell Foundation because all his time and effort's gone into that. You, you see a lot of people on Dragons Den, they all get into this. Yeah. It's like, it's not just about making money. What I think you need to focus on and be the champion of is making a difference. Ah, uh, yes. Preach. That and is that, true. And, and, and if, you, if you can just make a difference and make someone's life better, mm. you know, and that might be as simple as someone someone realizing how convenient and, and awesome your cafe is so that they can drop their kids in there, have a coffee and just get those emails written yes. in a 30 minute sense of peace and quiet, you know, relatively. Yeah. Okay. And, and eat something nice and not have to stress. That could be the difference it makes to somebody. Yeah. I've gone in before and it's been full and I've cried. I've had reviews and people say, you know, I was really having a rough morning. My kids weren't listening. I went to the cafe. So I completely agree. Or my good thing could be interviewing someone like you who's openly spoken about depression and the things you've had to overcome, losing money, all of the things that you've just spoken to, how you're giving back. And this podcast alone could help somebody else who's going through it. You know, because business, as you know, is so up and down. Like if you... There's mental health issues when you are in the nine till five. I worked for the financial ombudsman service, miraculously. Financial must have been fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but there's that depression, you know, going to the office. Depressing working bitchy, for the financial bitchy, ombudsman. Yeah, working for the ombudsman. <laughs> <laughs> bitchy work girls. Honestly, I used to cry. I, Simon would pick me up from work and I'd go in in the morning being my personality. Hi, everyone. You're right. And there was some bitchy girls. Mm. Or they'd go on lunch, they wouldn't invite me. And I'd cry in the toilet. You know, that kind of stuff. So maybe I am proving to myself that I'm worthy. You were too gangster for I'm them. Too, yeah, You're exactly. too gangster, way too gangster. Yeah, haters gotta hate. Start, what's <laughs> happening? <laughs> I was. But there's that depression. You know, I get it. When people work in the rat race, as they call it, the nine till five, you could be depressed. However... If you are struggling with the nine till five, and this is what I'm finding, even when I'm employing people at higher levels, it's very hard to change your mind from an employee mentality to an entrepreneur because it, uh, having that level of ups and downs in an entrepreneur, my level of anxiety and depression is tenfold what it was when I was working my nine till five. And everybody thinks that entrepreneurship is glamorized. Oh, I'll be an entrepreneur, it'll be cool. I could stay in bed till midday, I'll do what I want. I get to do everything with my kids. Oh, trust me, you're gonna feel lonely. There's gonna be moments you don't know who to open up to. People will judge you if you tell them you've lost 20 grand on something. You know, there's a lot and it's a very closed, sometimes it could be very lonely, very scary, and your mental health is severely damaged. So to people that are looking to start out, and then we're going to go on to the yes-no game, final piece of advice. People that are looking to start out in business, what would be your advice to them in terms of, I don't know, what would be your advice to them when they're going through those hard moments? Do you think people should be more open in business? Do you think everybody should have therapy as soon as you start a business? Because it's probably a wise idea to do that. What would you give advice to, to people that are looking to start out? Okay, so if you're going to be in business doing anything, remember you need to learn how to sell. True. Okay, no matter what you've got, you've got to sell. Whether you're raising capital, whether you're selling products, you've got to sell. Because a business will survive all the time there's money coming through the door. Mm. A business will fail when the money stops. True. Even for a short period of time. So if you're starting a business, know that you've got to learn to sell. And selling isn't about gift of the gab, fam. Selling is about is a skill, just like a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, whatever it may be, it's a skill you need to learn. So that's the first thing. Secondly, does anybody really want your product? 
Mm. That's an important thing, you know. You, we, we get obsessed with, you know, this great product we've come out with, and we've asked five people, you and they think all it's think great, it's great. But do they? You know, yeah. I'm a singer. Who told you you're a good singer? My nan. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, it doesn't matter. Is, the, is there a market for your product? And thirdly, most people should never be entrepreneurs. Oh. Most people should never in a million years be an entrepreneur. Ooh. The, the, the emotional roller coaster that you go on is huge. True. So. You know, you could be a good number two or a good number four or a good number six, okay? You don't have to be the entrepreneur, you know? All the years from the age of 23 up to 40, I was number two. And that was a great place for me. Yeah. Because the buck actually didn't stop with me. Yeah. There was someone else there. So that's an important thing to remember. Don't get into it unless you're prepared for the pain that it's going to bring you. And all those things that you just said are going to happen. So please, please, please don't just think, I want to start a business. It's going to be easy. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a millionaire in five minutes and all that shit. You're not. Okay. You're not. So those three things are important. Learn how to sell if you can be a business. Make sure your product is something that people want. Okay. But do not do any of it. Okay, unless you're 100% sure you're prepared to accept what goes with it. And think about your business from the minute you wake up, pretty much. You don't have to be doing your business, but thinking about it. You're dreaming I think about, about it, it when you're dreaming asleep. Dreaming about waking <laughs> up with night terrors because of it. Yeah. Oh, Spencer, it's been an absolute pleasure. Is there anything that you want to tell the audience about? And then we're going to go on to the yes or no game. No, 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 I'm good. Okay. Thank you so much. Right. Have you ever played the yes or no game before? No. Oh, fail. Joking, we haven't started yet. Am I not allowed to say no? You're not allowed to say yes or you're not allowed to say no. Oh. Okay. I'm not allowed to say yes or no. Okay. You're not allowed to say yes or no. Thanks for giving me the rules. Yeah. (laughs) See, I tricked him. Okay. I've only got a few questions. Okay. And if you take too long to answer, it's also a fail. Okay. Have you ever played before? Played what? Yes, no game. Not that I I can think of. Oh, he's a smart (laughs) cookie. Okay. You ready? Yes. Mm. We didn't say he was waiting to start. Are you ready? I am. Do you like rock music? Sometimes. Have you had fun today? Most of it. (laughs) Most of it? Brutal. (laughs) Can you swim? Underwater. It's really sunny today, isn't it? Cloudy, actually. 28 degrees, they said it is. Do you think it is? 27. Ah, filming a documentary must have been really fun, right? Harrowing. Are you planning on going back to the UK anytime soon? Depends on how good the weather is. Can I get you a coffee to say thank you? You can always get me a coffee. Oh, he's a winner. I've got a sweaty hand, but well done. (laughs) Thank you so much, Spencer Lodge. It's been an absolute pleasure. My first podcast guest in Dubai, and I'm sure going to be the best. Thank you. Yeah, come on. Anyone can come and compete with that. (laughs) Thank you. Bring it. Yeah, thank you all for listening. I hope you got lots of great advice from that. I sure did. And some great golden nuggets there. So thank you, Spencer. If you want to follow Spencer, I follow him on Instagram, you're on LinkedIn, Facebook, all of the above. Spencer Lodge or Spencer.Lodge. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.